0: Thanks for checking out the Southcrest Church podcast. We are one church meeting in two locations in South Atlanta. You can find us online at southcrest.church where you can listen to our past sermons, watch our 4G stories, and learn more about who we are. Let's prepare our hearts to hear a word from God today. Good. It's good to see you guys this morning. My name is Jake and Dukes. I'm the campus pastor here at our Noonan campus. And I am excited about our series. We're in week two of On the Money. We're talking about how do we live a life on point. And so here we got our target up here. How many of you guys are hunters out there? Been doing any bow hunting already? Way to go. Who's gotten the deer yet this season? Anybody? Nobody yet. Okay. So you could be the first at Southcrest to bag a deer and we'll all know about it. All right. So, cause I'm going to be asking you, but how how, we're asking the question, how can we live a life on point? And I'm really excited about this series because, you know, it'd be really easy when you're talking about a series on money to just kind of check out and be like, you know what? I don't need this. I don't want this. I'm not going to be here. So thank you so much for coming. Here's what I believe. I believe that this series If we will listen to the principles and the word of God, it could absolutely transform our lives. And not just our lives, but could literally impact our generations that are coming after us for many, many years. Because God wants us to put good principles in place on how we can use money. And you know what today we're specifically going to be talking about how do we live a life on point when it comes to our work. And so we're going to be talking about our work. Last week, Pastor Sean talked about this shrewd guy from Luke 16 who was able to get worldly wealth and use it to make friends in this life so that he could make an impact for eternity. Today We're going to be talking about how to live a life on point when it comes to our work. And we're going to be looking at a a passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. So, our theme for this week, if I had to sum it up in just like a couple words, it would be this. Less is more. Can you say that with me? Let's go. Less is more. Let's say it one more time, already. Less is more more. Very good. Less is more. That's our theme for today, okay? Now, this idea is pretty hot right now, right? I mean, you've got the whole tiny house thing. Me and my wife, we were talking with some friends just this past week about tiny houses. We want to get rid of everything. We want to empty our garage. We want to sell everything off, and we want to go live in a little tiny fancy house, right? But I begin to ask myself the question, I mean, Really, you owners of those tiny, fancy houses, are you really enjoying yourself? Or do you wake up at night in the middle of the night with the ceiling four inches from your face because the sink downstairs is also your shower and begin to wonder, have I made a terrible mistake here? Right? I mean, do tiny houses really actually work no I'm just kidding I want one I'm I'm building my backyard for my girls they're gonna love it like a little dollhouse it's gonna be fantastic so but it's this is all over the place right I mean those tiny houses are cool other people are like retrofitting these sprinter vans have you seen this they're like totally redoing sprinter vans and then putting bunks and stuff in them to see how, like, can I actually live out of this van and then travel around the world and take Instagram pictures out of the back of the sprinter van. So you got like the sprinter van back door open and then mountains and and like people are doing this. They're selling everything and they're going and living out of a sprinter van. It's like minimalist living. It's all over the place. Ikea, right? We have Ikea Because we're trying to figure out how we can live in 1,500 square feet or less. And I just got to confess right now that I have still got pieces of Ikea furniture in my house halfway done because I just couldn't figure out the directions on how to put it all together. Like, is this in Swedish? I don't even know. What do I do with this? So it's just sitting up there halfway done. But I got some things that I want you to take a look at. Let me see how savvy you are on this whole minimalist thing, right? There's minimalist art route right now that people are really getting into. And so let me test your cultural savvy on this. Okay, so I'm going to flash a picture on this screen and you just say the first cultural icon word that comes to your brain. Okay. Let's see how good you are at this. All right. Y'all ready to do it? Can you wake up with me? Can we do this? All right. Are you good? Okay. Here we go. So I'm going to flash one on the screen. Let's see what you, okay. What do you say? Star Wars. Very good. Excellent. Okay. Next one. I gave you that one. That was easy. I I, I was wondering if the creative arts guys were going to bleep that part out, but they didn't. So that was easy. That was easy. Okay. Let's go to the next one. Okay. Harry Potter. You see the lightning bolt. You know what's up. Okay, next. Walking Dead. Walking Dead. We got some Sonoya people over here. The rest of you are absolutely confused. That was the hard one. That was the difficult one. Okay, and then the last one. Let's see if you get this one. This is the hardest. Larry King. I heard it over here. Come on, Yousef. Way to go. Give it, all right, give yourselves a hand. Well done. Well done. You understand culture. Okay, so sometimes less is more, right? Sometimes in life... Actually, less is more. And this truth applies to our work as well. You see, what's happening, and we're seeing this in our culture, is that we're actually literally working ourselves to death. And there's an actual term for this in Japan. It's called karoshi, and it literally means death from overwork. And so they've got a whole system set up in their society to provide benefits to people who experience karoshi. But, if we think that this is just a Japanese problem, think again, because in America, Gallup tells us that Americans work full time Americans work an average of forty seven hours per week. What does that mean? That means that if you 're a full time person working in america you 're working six days a week that 's what pretty much the average is so this and that doesn 't even include the things that we 've got to do like around the house so we 've got to think about this. We are working a lot we are even working ourselves to death and here's the cool part right we need a balanced perspective on work and the good news is this is that in ecclesiastes written nearly 3000 years ago we have a perspective about work that is just as relevant today as it was then and it's revolutionary for the way that we could see ourselves and the way that we can see our work and we're going to be talking about that this morning. So, if you if you'd like to turn with me over to Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and we're going to be starting in verse 4. Let me pray for us real quick and we'll jump in. God, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the ability to work. Thank you that you've given us good things to do. God, I pray that you'd open up your word to us and your spirit would teach us on how we can live a life that pleases you. In regards to our work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in verse 4 of chapter 4. And it says this, And I saw that all toil and all achievement springs from one person's envy of another. So we can stop right there just for a minute and say that totally revolutionizes the way that we all look at work in our modern society. All Toil and achievement spring from one person's envy of another. We're going to talk about that in greater detail, but that's a revolutionary thought just right there. Let's keep going. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Verse 5, fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother, and there was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. So we're going to look at specifically one verse here. We're going to pack a little of the whole thing apart, but we're going to look at one verse as kind of our key thought. Okay. And it's in verse four and it says, excuse me, verse six, better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Okay. So in the spirit of less is more, I want us to just focus in on that verse. Okay. So can we say it together? Okay. Let's try it together. Better. Here we go. Better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Very good, let's do it one more time. Better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Very good, very good. So that's gonna be where our focus is, right? Traditionally, thinking says not less is more, but what? More is more, right? If I've got one handful, two handfuls are better. If I've got $1, $2 are better. If I've got one car, two cars are better. If I've got one scoop of ice cream, two scoops of ice cream are better. If I've got one child, then four children are better, right? Right? No, Solomon Solomon says, no, more isn't better. More is toil, right? More is toil. More work means more toil. So here's the thing, though. We didn't start out this way when it comes to work. Work was designed to actually be good. Here's the cool thing about what happened in the Garden of Eden. We're not going to go there. But if you remember that passage, God said, go into all the world be fruitful and multiply, okay? So in the beginning, once God spun the world out into creation and made everything so, he actually left things undone for us to do. That's a cool thought. When you think about it, God created this world so that we had to rule over it and subdue it. And so in the beginning, in our original design, God made work a part of our destiny, a part of our creation, a part of who we are as humans. So, working is good. What happened? Well, there was a curse that happened after man sinned. And God said, Cursed will be the ground that you work. And so, now what happens is we have this whole concept of overwork that we see in Ecclesiastes. So, it's not that work is bad. It's that overwork is bad. Work is a good thing. Overwork, however, is a very bad thing. And so the curse has led all of us to overwork. And it's not just a problem that we overwork. We need to understand why we overwork. We have to understand why that is in us. Work as toil is more than just a quantity problem. It's a value problem. It's an outlook that asks work to provide something for us that it was never meant to provide, okay? And I'm going to tell you what that is. You see, work can't deliver on its own, prov- pro- on its own promises to us. It promises, promises us certain things, success, viability, respect, honor, but work can't even deliver on what it promises to us, and so... Here's the way that we will live our lives. We will either get a name for ourselves from God or make a name for ourselves from our work. We will either get a name for ourselves from God or make a name for ourselves from our work. And here's what I want to share with you this morning work becomes toil when we expect it to bring us recognition. Work becomes toil when we expect it to bring us recognition. What does verse, verse four say in our passage? All skill and work comes from a man's envy of his neighbor. And so what we see was when we find toil in work, it's because we are trying to, work, work to, to get work to do something for us it was never meant to do. We're trying to find recognition from our work. Now, how can the writer of Ecclesiastes say such a thing? I mean, this is a pretty skeptical view, right? All skill and work comes from a man's envy of his neighbor. I mean, who is he to even say this? Well, if you read uh, read back in chapter 2... This guy actually gives you his credentials and he's, he's done incredible things. He tells us that he's done things like, I undertook great projects. I built great houses. I made gardens. I made parks. I made reservoirs and water groves. I amassed silver and gold for myself. And so the writer here, who is Solomon, we believe, he has done incredible things. It's not just that he's had success. He's had astronomical success in his life. So if anybody is an an expert and able to speak about the way success works and what it can deliver, it's Solomon. I mean, it's one thing, right, for us, those of us who are not very successful, to look at the very successful and judge them and be like, look, you know, they probably got there, you know, they probably stepped over lots of people. They, They probably got there by immoral means. That's not what this writer is doing. He's saying, look, I've been there. I've done it. I've got the success. I've had this great life. I've done these incredible things. I've, all these projects, investment into the land, I've done it all. And he's saying all work is meaningless because it's about trying to get our recognition from someone else. So, envy of our neighbor. That's really what he's talking about. This is so true though. When you think about our work, when we overwork, we are actually making work a functional God in our lives because we're trying to get work to meet a need that only God was designed to meet in our lives. And that's when and why we overwork because we begin to, try, we begin to think, you know what? It's not just that I have to do this well. It's that I have to do it better than the next person, right? We start comparing ourselves It's not just that I'm going to work hard, it's that I actually have to work harder than someone else. It's not just that I am going to be successful, it's that I actually have to be more successful than someone else. And so work then begins to bring us validation. We want work to bring us esteem. We want work to bring us recognition and fame. We want it to bring us security. We want it to pay off in our lives, and we expect it to do and bring what only God can do and bring in our lives. And work becomes toil when we engage in that. And that's the why. That's how work, something very good, can turn into something very, very bad for our lives when we try and get it to accomplish things that it was never designed to. To do things that we can only get from God. And what this is really, it's a root of pride. C.S. Lewis said it this way Pride is essentially competitive. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say people are proud of being rich, but they are not. They are only proud of being richer than others. And that's what's going on when we overwork, we are comparing ourselves. Just like the writer of Ecclesiastes says, all work comes about from our envy of our neighbor and it becomes toil. So what is the proper view of work? If we want to look at the right way, it's not two handfuls with toil, but one handful with tranquility. So what is the proper view of work? How can we find tranquility in our work, which really is a word that means peace? How can we find peace and rest in our work? Well, number two, work brings peace when we engage in it to bring about God's purposes. Work brings peace when we engage in it to bring about God's purposes. And I'm going to give you three very easy ways to understand this. Okay. When we say God's purposes, what are we talking about? Well, three practical ways to do this. Okay. Number one, we need to cut back. And what does that mean? That literally means work less hours, right? I mean, it's, it's important that God said in the big 10, that one is to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Think about this, right? God could have done anything in creation, He chose to take a whole day after he created everything to rest. And so here, the thought is we are human beings, not human doings. We're designed to rest. And so we must work out of our rest, not rest from our work. Think about it this way. When God created man on the sixth day, the seventh full day, the first full day that we had in this life as humanity, was a day of rest. We were designed to understand rest and work as a rhythm. One handful with tranquility is better than two handfuls with toil and striving after the wind. So, I've been doing a little work on my house Building like this library thing on the second one of those big two-story living rooms. It's like, what the heck am I going to do with all that space up there at the top? It's just sitting there. I'm heating and cooling it. You know, let's make this thing functional, all right? So we decided to build this like cool little like library, like L-shaped thing, like kind of a, a half like half crosswalk kind of thing. Anyways, you'll just have to come over to my house and see it. You're all invited. Come on over. Um, but anyways, I've been doing some work and so I've had these tools on my hands quite a bit. Um, but look, if you think about it, right, let's just very practically look at it. Like one hand, if I'm going to use this hammer, you know, if I'm going to start nailing a nail, which who uses a hammer anymore these days, right? I mean, it's that nail gun, it's really easy. But anyways, if I'm going to use a hammer, right, then it's very, very difficult for me to be holding a wrench while I'm, I just look ridiculous right now, Right. Does this guy even know what he's doing? No, I do not. Absolutely have no idea what I'm doing. Okay, but it's very difficult. But I put one down, okay? And then I've got one in my hand. With one comes tranquility and peace. And then it also frees this hand up, right? And what can I do with this hand? Now I can receive. Now I can receive from God who will give to me rest and peace and life and sustenance and joy. So I can work hard with one hand, but with the other hand, I receive. You see, as humans, we were designed to be fruitful. That's who we are. That's how God made us. He made us to go and multiply and produce and create a yield. He designed us to do those things. And so it's important for us to cut back so that we can receive which is really gets into the second thing on how we live a life of tranquility and peace is first we cut back, second we work for God. So if I ask you the question, who is your employer? Right, maybe you give me a company or the name of your boss. This is how we need to shift our thinking though. Our employer is God himself, And the one who we're trying to please and the one who we're working for is God Himself. See, God wants us to produce, He wants us to have an increase. This is the reason why we aren't called to a life of inactivity. We aren't called to just sit on our hands and twiddle our thumbs. How we would do that, I have no idea. But we're not called to do that. We're not called to just sit around and do nothing. What does the passage say? fools fold their hands and what and ruin themselves so we all know what this is like I mean if you've ever been in a place in your life where you don't have work unemployment it's a violation of what it means to be human so we're not designed to just sit there and do nothing We're designed to go out and produce and create and design new things and to come up with new ideas and be part of a society that is flourishing and thriving. That's who we are. But, however, it's important to remember that we work from God's love, not for God's love. It's very, very important for us to remember that we work from God's love, not for God's love. And so we're not... Working to earn or gain anything in terms of our value. But we're working because God has given us incredible things to do. So, you know what that means? That means that you are not your job performance, you are not your paycheck, you are not the things that you have accomplished, you're not your title, you're not your position, you're not your performance evaluation. You're not your productivity. Here is what each and every one of you are here in this room. You are a child of God. And he has some incredible things for each and every one of us to do. But when we start from the place of love, knowing that we're accepted by God, and there's nothing that we can do to change our value in his eyes, then work becomes a joy again. And guess what? When we engage in kingdom things while we work, God is pleased with us. And so we think about all the energy and time and angst that we spend in our work Engaged in stress and worry and am I going to make that person happier I got to keep this person happier I can't f- get in a fight with that person or I've got to whatever it is just focusing on the temporal and if we were able to shift that to think no 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 I'm working for God what can man do to me I'm loved I'm accepted now I'm freed up to use all of that energy to go after the purposes and plans of God for me. And you know what? When we can do that, when we can find the redeemable parts of our work that give God pleasure, work becomes a joy again. And so maybe you're here today and you're like, Jake, I am done at my job. Like, I'm finished. You know, I should have put my two weeks in two months ago. Right? Right? and you've lost hope, I just want to encourage you. You aren't working for your company. You you aren't working for your boss. They don't hold the chains of your life. You are a child of God. You've been bought with a price by Jesus Christ, and he has incredible things for you to do in your life. So what if we began to shift the way that we think about our time at our jobs as an opportunity for us to bring about the purposes of God? It transforms everything. It changes everything. It raises our eyes, our heart, our mind, and we begin to see people and tasks and things completely differently because nobody is gonna get in God's way of what he wants to accomplish. And that's the great thing. Eric Liddell from Chariots of Fire said, I believe God made me for a purpose and he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Do you know that when you do good work, when you honor God where you are, right where you are as a dental assistant or as a mechanic or as a laborer or as a technician or as an engineer, or as an operator, whatever it is you do, when you work at that and you do it well, God smiles. He is pleased with you. I know that you're all fighting it out there. I know that you're working the grind. I know that when you go out into the world, you have to put on all of this armor just to make it out the door. But let me remind you why we've been sent out in the first place. It's for the purposes Of God. And He rewards hard work. Proverbs 14 23. All hard work leads to profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Colossians 3 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. When you work hard at work you love, God smiles. So, cut back, work for God, and then give big. What do I mean by give big? Use your resources to bless others and advance the kingdom. Use your re- it's that simple. Use your resources to bless others and advance the kingdom. So um, we're, we're about to really illustrate this less is more concept. All right. So I was um, studying for my sermon this past week and um, Finley runs up to me and I'm like typing away. Finley runs up to me and she, she says, hey, daddy, will you read this book to me? And I'm I'm like, okay, that sounds great. And so she hands me this book right here. Y'all remember this book? Shel Silverstein, you remember this? So we're about to like, for real, get into less is more. Y'all ready to do this? I want you all to pay attention, class. (laughs) Give me your eyes and your ears. All right, I'm going to read this for us this morning. I just want you to sit back and enjoy and listen. I think we got the pictures up there so you can read along. Let's go. Once there was a tree. And she loved a little boy. And every day the boy would come. And he would gather her leaves and make them into crowns and play king of the forest. He would climb up her trunk and swing from her branches and eat apples. And they would play hide and go seek. And when he was tired, he would sleep in her shade. And the boy loved the tree very much. And the tree was happy. But time went by, and the boy grew older, and the tree was often alone. Then one day the boy came to the tree and the tree said, come boy, come and climb up my trunk and swing from my branches and eat apples and play in my shade and be happy. I am too big to climb and play, said the boy. I want to buy things and have fun. I want some money. Can you give me some money? I'm sorry, said the tree, but I have no money. I have only leaves and apples. Take my apples, boy, and sell them in the city. Then you will have money and you will be happy. And so the boy climbed up the tree and gathered her apples and carried them away. And the tree was happy. But the boy stayed away for a long time and the tree was sad. And then one day the boy came back and the tree shook with joy and she said, "'Come, boy, climb up my trunk, swing from my branches and be happy.'" I am too busy to climb trees, said the boy. I want a house to keep me warm, he said. I want a wife and I want children and so I need a house. Can you give me a house? I have no house, said the tree. The forest is my house. But you may cut off my branches and build a house. Then you will be happy. And so the boy cut off her branches and carried them away to build his house. And the tree was happy. But the boy stayed away for a long time, and when he came back, the tree was so happy she could hardly speak. Come, boy, she, said. she whispered, come and play. I am too old and sad to play, said the boy. I want a boat that will take me far away from here. Can you give me a boat? Cut down my trunk and make a boat, said the tree. Then, I can, then you can sail away and be happy. And so the boy cut down her trunk and made a boat and sailed away. And the tree was happy but not really. After a long time, the boy came back again. I am sorry, boy, said the tree, but I have nothing left to give you. My apples are gone. My teeth are too weak for apples, said the boy. My branches are gone, said the tree. You cannot swing on them. I am too old to swing on branches, said the boy. My trunk is gone, said the tree. You cannot climb. I am too tired to climb, said the boy. I am sorry, sighed the tree. I wish that I could give you something, but I have nothing left. I am just an old Stump, I'm sorry. I don't need very much now, said the boy. Just a quiet place to sit and rest. I'm very tired. Well, said the tree, straightening herself up as much as she could. Well, an old stump is good for sitting and resting. Come, boy, sit down. Sit down and rest. And the boy did. And the tree was happy. And isn't it interesting that Shell's poem illustrates the joy and happiness of a tree and yet a boy who doesn't find rest until the very end of his life. And so, what are the things that are going to make a difference? There are only a few things that we can invest in that will outlast us. And every one of those things are eternal. Eternal their souls of human people and their kingdom resources that we invest. We've got one life. Why would we waste any time? Why would we waste any opportunity to make an investment into the things that matter? So cut back, work for God, give big, Go for it. God wants to make a difference through you. Your life, it's redeemed. You've been bought with a price. You are valuable. God has big things for you to do. Let's jump in and do them together. I mean, can't you imagine our city, our community transformed because we decided to rise up and go to work and stop fighting over the things that don't matter but investing in the kingdom around us with our lives to not worry about a fight with this person or who's going to beat out over that person but just to serve people to use the resources and the money that we have to give big for God that's what living a life on point looks like Amen. let's pray thanks again for listening to this week's message remember you can find more sermons just like this one on our website at southcrest.church if you have any questions about our church email us at hello at southcrest.tv we'll see you next time